0: Hello sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... With the NCAA tournament down to the Sweet 16, which teams have the best shot of making it to the Final Four? Plus, who are the winners and losers at the NBA trade deadline? And Ranking the best free agents still available in the NFL. It's episode 19 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. thursday march 25th 2021 another edition of let me speak we're on episode 19 I can't believe we're 19 deep and not only that i can't believe next week is going to be april can't believe how fast this year is flying by there's been a ton of action so far there's still plenty of 2021 left to go but obviously this year is very exciting because march madness is back we finally remember what all these feelings when March Madness is going on feels like both in the men's and the women's side. And before we go deep into our sweet 16 preview, let's just talk about some of the moments in the round of 64 and then the round of 32 that to me were a little bit surprising. Obviously Oral Roberts and Loyola Chicago was right there, especially because Loyola Chicago knocked out my championship pick. If you remember from last week, Illinois, I mean, the fact that if, if y'all are still listening to this and taking my advice and really listening, I mean, props to you because I was extremely off with Illinois. I mean, they lost by 13 to Loyola, and I had them in the national championship. That's insane, absolutely insane, and in, in filling out my bracket last week, I was going back and forth with a lot of, a lot of picks. I thought Moorhead State was going to upset West Virginia. I thought wrong. And the one that really annoyed me was that between Texas and Abilene Christian, I had Abilene Christian in there before I switched it at the last minute. And I was just so frustrated with myself. But, I mean, what I've done so far, the fact that it's gotten me into second place into my cousin's March Madness group, shout out to Bridge Madness 2021 bracket group on ESPN.com, fact that I'm still in second place shows that maybe I'm doing something right but let's put all the personal brackets aside and let's dive into these games coming up first in the Sweet 16 and I I want to look at the first game the most intriguing one I would say is between number 12 Oregon State and number eight Loyola Chicago as I mentioned in that Midwest division I mean looking at what Loyola Chicago is doing They, to me, it would not surprise me if they make it all the way to the Final Four. Absolutely not. I mean, you have to look at what Oregon State is doing as a number 12 scene. I mean, they've had some sloppy play going on, but they've just been shooting the ball extremely well. I mean, 48% from the field and 41% from the field versus Tennessee and Oklahoma State, respectively. And even especially... Over 47.5% from three versus Tennessee. I mean, they got to the free throw line 35 times and made 32 of them versus Oklahoma State. It is absolutely impressive. And they're plus 27 in the rebounding margin. But like I said, it's this hot shooting that's making up for 35 total team turnovers in their first two games. That's really the difference is that they're just shooting the ball very well. And I think... For the Beavers to win, Warith, Alatache, and Roman Silva have got to win their battle down on the block. They've got to be able to take control down low and win that rebounding margin. But like I'm saying, Loyola Chicago, the Ramblers, and Sister Jean are plowing through the field. Absolutely plowing through the field. I mean, 71-60 to over Georgia Tech, and then 71-58 over Illinois, those are some Dominant wins and their defense can really take them all the way to the final four. They forced 29 total turnovers so far in their first two games. And I think defensively they can get themselves to the final four because they got Oregon state. And then I think they can knock off either Syracuse or Houston, whichever comes out of that game. So Loyola to me is my pick to come out of that Midwestern region and into the Final Four. I mean, everyone's sleeping on Loyola Chicago, but if they can get to the dance, they can bust some serious moves at the big dance. They really can. And Loyola Chicago is my favorite to come out of the Midwestern region. Now, the South region, though, it's got a Couple of more questions. I personally thought Baylor was going to be one of was going to be that first number one seed to get upset. I thought North Carolina or Wisconsin was going to take them. Obviously, I had picked North Carolina, and they did not go far at all. They got slaughtered by Wisconsin, and then Baylor made easy work of the Badgers. But I think between Baylor and Villanova, which is going to be that Sweet Sixteen game, I think one of those teams is going to make the Final Four. I do, because Villanova, look at them. They have the championship experience, but they've had some pretty easy games. They beat number 12 Winthrop, and then they beat number 13 North Texas. That's really, it's a pretty easy road. One of the easier roads so far for the Wildcats. But if they're going to beat Baylor, it's going to have to be Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Jermaine Samuels having good games that will give them the chance. It really is. But just the way Baylor's looked so far in their first two games, they look like one of the more well-rounded teams in the tournament right now. I mean, they shot the lights out from three-point land against Wisconsin, 47% from three, and then their field goal percentage respectively was 41% and 45.5%. And they're winning the turnover margin. Don't forget, 38-14. to They're winning that margin. But the big difference I see for Baylor is... Matthew Mayer I think he's one of the biggest differences coming off the bench he had a near double double against Hartford and then he scored a team high 17 off the bench against Wisconsin I think that's going to be the key we see all these big names but Matthew Mayer to me is going to be that x-factor if he can have a great game then Baylor can make a very deep run and like I said Baylor Villanova I think one of them is going to make the final four Because, you know, Oral Roberts, that's probably the best story in a long time. I mean, a 15 seed making it to the Sweet 16, this is where it's going to get hard. Because when you see the scoring that Oral Roberts has, Kevin O'Banner and Max Atmos, they're going to need some help because they've got a tough task against Arkansas. And I can't remember exactly what the number was, but I believe it was, I want to say, maybe 60. 5 of the 81 points that Oral Roberts scored against Florida. And then I think same thing against Ohio State. It was about 80 or 90% of their points were from those two guys. And this is where this is the part of the region and part of the tournament where you start to see the well-rounded teams come together. Not necessarily individual talent, but teams. And it's a great story like I said, but Oral Roberts, I think this is where the road stops. I think they get beaten by Arkansas. And then I think Arkansas is going to get dropped by the Bears or the Wildcats. And honestly, I think I'll pick the Bears to get out of the South region and into the Final Four. In the East region, though, again, to me, it's down to a a two-team race once again. I think it's between Michigan and Alabama. But to start with Michigan, I think Jawan Howard... The leadership that he's bringing to that Wolverines team I think he's doing great with this team and the key piece for this Michigan team is the freshman at center Hunter Dickinson I think he's the key because in watching him play I got to watch a lot of that game versus LSU he's really the big difference because he can open the floor for guys like Eli Brooks Mike Smith and Franz Wagner I think he's that big difference you know, he gets the ball at the free throw line, and he just does his work. I think that's the, the big difference. But Michigan, the reason I'm skeptical on them is that they've really got to clean up their defense. You know, they they had their, their stretches where they were getting LSU back into the game, and LSU had the lead at some point, and it just really, it really took a lot of chances for them to finally pull away from the Tigers. But... Also, the turnovers are concerning as well. They're minus 13 in the turnover margin right now. And that's in their 16-point win against Texas Southern and their 8-point win against LSU. So if they don't clean that up, they're going to get upset by Florida State. Although I don't think that's the case. I think Michigan can pull away. It's going to be really close, though, between Michigan and Florida State. But that's something they're going to have to clean up if they can get to Alabama. But Alabama's got to beat UCLA, which I think they can. To me, they're my favorite to make the Final Four because they've shot the ball very well. 47% against Iona, 53% against Maryland, and I think rebounding is going to be the big key. They're plus 37 right now in the rebounding margin. and I think that's going to be the difference. I think Alabama's going to knock off UCLA. Then I think they're going to knock off Michigan and get themselves into the Final Four. And then finally, we have the West Region. And what more can you say about Gonzaga? I was really skeptical because of their championship history, but the way they've just handled their games against Norfolk State and Oklahoma, I mean, it's absolutely dominant. It's an absolutely dominant performance, and I would not be surprised to see them go all the way. But again, my reason for being skeptical is is the fact that they don't have the championship experience of going all the way. I mean, this is usually the part where they start to drop a little bit, and they might not go all the way. This is usually the part. This year could be different, though, with the way I've seen them play against Norfolk State and Oklahoma. But I think out of the four teams left in the West between Creighton, USC, and Oregon— I would say Oregon has the best chance to really upset them because they're a team that's kind of built the way their tournament's gone. Obviously, they didn't play in their first game. It was a forfeit win against Oregon, which means they're well-rested, and it clearly showed against number 2 Iowa, where they beat them 95-80 to because with a team that's as well-rested like that, basically you've only played one game in about, let's say, a week or so. And they could either be well-rested, come out firing against USC and then against either Gonzaga or Creighton, or they could be cold and drop the game to their back Pac-12 rivals against USC. But what I saw in that game against Iowa really gives me a lot of confidence. I mean, shooting 44% from three-point land against the Hawkeyes is absolutely huge. But I think the difference for Oregon is has to be LJ Figueroa. I mean, he's going to have to have another great shooting game. He was five for nine from three-point land. And if Oregon, again, can shoot the ball that well from three-point land, they can go and upset, get themselves into the final four. I want to. My heart is telling me to pick Oregon because of they they just feel like the right pick. But I think Gonzaga is just is too much. They're too much for Creighton. They're too much for USC and or Oregon. And I think they'll get themselves into the Final Four. But you know, there's a reason they call it March Madness. Because there's going to be absolute madness this weekend to see who will make it to the Final Four in Indianapolis. with basketball we'll move to where the college guys are learning their game from and that is in the nba and obviously the big story was the trade deadline i kind of held off on this after the 3 p.m deadline but there's still going to be a ton of moves to be made i mean i continue to refresh the page even right before i refreshed we found out that the houston rockets are finalizing a deal to send victor oladipo to the miami heat according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, but I just want to talk about so far because there's still it's a weird kind of deadline sort of thing where all the paperwork has to be turned in by 3 p.m. and obviously work for recording after 3 p.m. but we're still waiting to hear the sources on a couple of moves but from the moves that have been made so far I want to talk about some of the winners and losers. Of the NBA trade deadline and the first one sticks out to me right away and that's the Denver Nuggets. I mean the Nuggets what they did with their team is absolutely incredible. Obviously the big move getting Aaron Gordon absolutely huge and I think the Nuggets are in prime position to, to find themselves back into that top four of the Western Conference because the Lakers are sliding without their superstars. The Clippers still have some point guard problems. They did get Rajon Rondo. I don't know if that's going to fix it. But I think the Nuggets, the way their team is shaping up right now, I think it's a great move to pick up Aaron Gordon. Now, just the the notes on that, Denver did have to give up a lot. They gave up Gary Harris and RJ Hampton. Now, Harris has been, been huge on the depth chart, but I think you can really fill that void with, the amount of numbers that you have, like Jamal Murray, Will Barton. I mean, the way the lineup looks is Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., and Nikola Jokic. That is a great lineup to have. And then not only that, but you get a backup center like JaVale McGee. I mean, JaVale McGee might not be the difference maker, but he is a great rim protector. And his length, his athleticism, very vital. I mean, he's one, he's Part of the reason why the Warriors won their championship and the Lakers won their championship. But I think it's it's a great move. I think the Denver Nuggets are the biggest winner out of the trade deadline. Because you pick up Aaron Gordon who really is, is just overlooked because he was playing in Orlando. And Orlando hasn't had the success uh, in many years. Uh, When they got Aaron Gordon, I mean, the farthest they went was an 8th, 7th seed in 2019. And I think they got one game over the Toronto Raptors. And then the year after that, in the bubble, they had to play Milwaukee as an 8th seed. But I think Aaron Gordon will be a big difference maker. I think he's a great defender. He can defend almost all positions. He's a good finisher at the rim, obviously, the multiple dunk contests he's in, but I think he'll take some of that attention off of Jokic, off of Murray, off of Porter, and he doesn't have to be the superstar. I think that's what's what's great is that Aaron Gordon doesn't have to do so much in just the fact that he's gonna be a big factor defensively. You know, offensively, he can kind of just take a step back and start shooting when he has to and getting to the rim when he needs to. But I think the Nuggets made a great move in picking up Aaron Gordon and JaVale McGee. They are the big winners from the trade deadline so far for me. But then second place, I would say in the deadline, the Chicago Bulls. The improvements that the Bulls have made at the deadline were ginormous. I mean, getting Nikola Vucevic, uh, that should be the winner right there. That should be your winner right there. I mean... Let, let's just analyze this deal. They're getting Nikola Vucevic and Al Aminu. Don't forget that. Aminu, he's a veteran. He's got experience. And the Bulls, all they had to give up was Otto Porter Jr., Wendell Carter Jr., and two first-rounders. It, it's it's huge. When you, when you look at what this team is looking like, Zach Levine needed some offensive and defensive help. He's got it. He's got Vucevic, and he is the center that they can really workaround. They've been trying for so long to get Zach Levine some help. Obviously, Lowry Markinen wasn't able to take the next step from his first and his second years in the league. But, you know, does this put the Bulls over the top? No. But I think when you look at that Eastern Conference and how basically wide open it is, you see the struggling Celtics taking some step back. You see the Atlanta Hawks kind of Backing up, the Pacers backing up, the Raptors giving away some of their pieces. I think the Bulls see this and they can get themselves into the playoff hunt. And even for the future, you have free agency too, as well, that the Bulls can really work around. I think Vucevic, he's a great scorer. He can take the attention off of Zach Levine. I think he's a center that, you know, maybe not the best defender, but you can definitely work with maybe his defensive lacking with his size and his center. But let's also forget, don't forget that the Bulls also made another small move in getting from the Washington Wizards, Troy Brown Jr. and Mo Wagner. Don't forget that. Those could be some small pieces too. I think the Bulls did a great job at this deadline, getting an all-star center in Nikola Vucevic and giving Zach Levine some help, I would not be surprised to see the Bulls in this year's postseason. I would not be surprised at all. And then one final team that I would say is a winner, I would say the LA Clippers made made a good move in getting Rajon Rondo. I think, I think they're probably, you know, maybe a slight winner. I think, you know, get, getting a point guard right, like Rajon Rondo, that's been the biggest problem, is that... Patrick Beverly just hasn't done, done it. Reggie Jackson hasn't done it. You bring Rondo in, he's a pass first point guard. You got to remember that. And he'll be able to find Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, Sergi Baca. He'll be able to find all these guys. And I think Rondo maybe doesn't put the Clippers over the top, but I think it really shores up them as title contenders. I think they'll be contenders, and I think that the Clippers – they made a good move in getting Rondo. I think they made a good good move. I will question giving up Lou Williams because you need a good six-man. But, you know, for, for the Clippers to be able to fill their point guard role, I think Rondo will do that. And I think that's the right point guard that you want to get. Now, in terms of the losers of this trade deadline, the first one's obvious, and that's the Lakers. The Lakers didn't do nothing at this deadline from the time we're recording absolutely nothing and you gotta remember how bad they're struggling right now no LeBron James no Anthony Davis so now you're relying on Dennis Schroeder KCP Kyle Kuzma Marcus Saul for your offense your two superstars are out and you did nothing To make any kind of improvements. Now, this could all change with the buyout market. You got to remember this at the dead. We're talking about what they're doing at the trade deadline. When it comes to the buyout market, it could be a completely different story. But for right now, the Lakers making no improvements at all is is kind of kind of a little a little shocking. I would have thought they they would have made some kind of move, some kind of small move, and. You know, just going back to the Bulls real quick, because as we're recording, you know, we're finding another deal that the Celtics trading Daniel Tice to the Bulls for Mo Wagner. So that's another improvement there for Chicago, getting a good offensive player in Daniel Tice. But going back to the Lakers, I mean, you had to figure they were going to make some kind of move. And it could be in the buyout market where they get Andre Drummond or LaMarcus Aldridge. But... At the deadline, it's not, they didn't do anything to make themselves better. And I could definitely see the Lakers just continue to struggle and even get leapfrogged by the Nuggets, even when either Davis or LeBron James comes back. I I think that's a really big thing. Lakers are the biggest loser right now at the deadline. And the second, I would say the second loser in this, I think it's obvious, it's the Orlando Magic. I mean, the fact that they're blowing everything up, they get rid of Gordon. They get rid of Fournier. They get rid of Vucevic. I mean, the amount that they took back. I mean, obviously, you're going into it for the draft. But it just feels like they have a plethora of guards now on their roster. Just just a ton of them. And obviously, some of them are lost due to the injury. You have like Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz. They're obviously lost for the year. But you have a ton of Kind of just veterans who were kind of on their last stand. Not really so much for youth. I mean, your only youth right now is Wendell Carter Jr., Cole Anthony, and RJ Hampton. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get these other young guys back, but you know, it's it's not really the the biggest. Obviously, you blow it up because you're finally getting to tank. But it, it feels like it should have been done maybe two or three years ago for this Magic team because when you look when you look at where the draft really is. And the fact that they could finally pull the trigger now, you, you figure they should have done this maybe two or three years ago where they could get a good pick in the draft and get someone like a Zion Williamson, like a Ja Morant, or or someone like that, uh, DeAndre Ayton. And, you know, they should have done this a couple of years ago. And that's why I think they're the big loser, is that they're probably not going to get as much. They probably could have gotten more a couple of years ago than they did now because, you know, they were they were contending, they made the playoffs, and that's why I think just just the fact that they waited now to finally pull the trigger kind of puts them in the loser category for me. And really, I don't I don't see any other losers out of this. I think I'm I think um, Kyle Lowry not getting traded at the moment is the big surprise for me. I would have thought uh, Philly or Miami would have done that, but I think Miami got their guard in Victor Oladipo. Um, I think Toronto, you know, you could classify them a- as losers because they're going young, but they still have Kyle Lowry. So, you know, if they want to go in this young direction, you know, do you re-sign Kyle Lowry or you ju- do you just let him walk in free agency? So maybe maybe I'll change, I'll change that, Toronto being uh, a loser in this deadline. But like I said... This is what we're talking about at the trade deadline. The buyout market is still coming, and there are plenty of teams who can pick up some buyouts. Now, our third topic this week is really going to go into the NFL, and obviously. We've seen free agency absolutely explode last week. I mean, moves here, moves there. But there are still a couple of interesting names that are still on the market. And to me, it's very surprising that they haven't found a home just yet. Obviously, it's going to be different with the draft coming up. I mean, we've got the NFL draft coming up in the next couple of weeks. And after then, we might start to see some of these players find homes because teams didn't draft the way they wanted to which we will have a draft preview coming up in the next couple of weeks. But there's still some big names remaining out there in NFL free agency. And the big one, obviously, to me, is Leonard Fournette. We've talked about him for weeks and weeks and weeks, how much of a difference he was for that Tampa team when he came over, forming the two-headed monster with him and Ronald Jones. And really in that Super Bowl game, in the Super Bowl, he was the biggest difference for Tampa obviously outside of Tom Brady, but his difference in the backfield, I mean, he showed his versatility, the way he's he's catching balls out of the backfield and the way he's running so downhill with basically a head full of steam. He is, wherever he goes, he's going to make that team better. He's going to make that team better, no way, wherever he goes. And to me, if I were him, if I just won a Super Bowl, I would say, okay, I got my ring. Now it's time for me to go get my money and become a featured role. That would be the biggest thing for me if I was Leonard Fournette. Now, we've seen the reports that the Bucks are still in play to be re-signed. And I wouldn't have a problem with that at all for Fournette. Because if... Remember the story that Fournette had. Early on in the year, cut by the Jaguars. Obviously, the situation didn't work out for the team that was drafted. And then he signs... With Tampa Bay on a minimum deal. He's looking for that ring. Now he's looking for that money. The question is, does Tampa, do they have enough to give Fournette if it's appealing to him to want to come back? Because you know, without a shadow of a doubt, Fournette, he sees himself as a top 10, maybe top 15 running back, I would say. And that's also coming from me. So he would want that featured role. Because he's got the ring. Now he's just looking for the money. That's the big thing. So I don't have a problem with the Bucks. I mean, I see a lot of teams that he could go to. I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, they had no running attack at all with that offense. And obviously James Conner wouldn't be the answer because he would have been signed by now with Pittsburgh. But. That's an option for me if the Steelers want to give out that money, kind of bring that offense back up because a lot of people are skeptical on Pittsburgh if they can really have that success that they had for the first three quarters of the NFL season last year because they still have the wide receiver weapons. But Big Ben's going to need some help in that backfield. I see the Steelers as an option. Possibly the San Francisco 49ers getting a running back. I mean, Think about Raheem Mostert and Leonard Fournette in that backfield. That could get San Francisco right back to the promised land where they were two years ago. And then I think of the Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks. They did resign Chris Carson, so maybe they're a bit of a long shot. But if they could have a prominent running back like Leonard Fournette, that would help out Russell Wilson to keep him in Seattle. And then also, what about the Arizona Cardinals? They let go of Kenyon Drake, why not get an upgrade, an upgrade, by signing Fournette? But I'm sure we're going to get a ton of answers later on. Now, to flip over from offense to defense, probably I'd say the best defender still out there is Jadavian Clowney. I mean, he's just looking for stability, and obviously, that that injury that he had while he was on Tennessee really hurt him and his stock, and it is very limiting for him. But you got to remember, he's only 28 years old. You can still get a good maybe three or four years out of Clowney if you want to sign him. And especially with this injury, he won't garner a market as much as maybe he did when he was hyped up with the Texans coming out of the draft number one in 2014. But I've heard reports that he was visiting the Browns, even though that's a long shot. I think that'd be great for the Browns to get him defensively, that would, to me, if they sign him, that would put them ahead of the Ravens and ahead of the Steelers in that AFC North. I would pick the Browns to win that division. But I'm thinking about other teams, you know, like I said, the Ravens that I just mentioned. They just lost a ton of defensive pieces in Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngaku. Replacing him with Clowney would be absolutely huge. Maybe a team like the Giants would want to pick him up. Maybe a team like the New Orleans Saints to really sure up that defense. Because the way I see it for the Giants in that NFC East is Dak Prescott, yeah, he signed his money, and a lot of people may think the Cowboys are the favorites, but the Giants are right behind there. If they can get a couple of the pieces, remember, they signed Kenny Galladay. They're going to get Saquon Barkley back. They just signed Adoree Jackson for the defensive backfield. I mean, throw Clowney in there. And I would say the Giants have a good shot of making the postseason. I really think they do if they can pick up and Clowney. Now, a part of the game that continues to be overlooked is the special teams. And one free agent out there that can really be a game changer for special teams, no matter where he goes, is Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson. With his kick returning and his punt returning, he's a difference maker. And he can immediately change that special teams no matter where he goes. No matter where he goes. And I was looking at a list, you know, statistically of teams that maybe didn't look too well in the special teams. You know, I looked at the stats and I also looked at games that I've seen. And I think three teams could really use him on the special teams market. I think of the Chargers because of the terrible game and the terrible special teams they've had in the past, especially against the Patriots, where they gave up a blocked field goal return for a touchdown and a punt return touchdown. I see that for the Chargers. I see the Chicago Bears re-signing with them. I think he did great, and you can get him on a discount as well. And then I think maybe the LA Rams, because not only is Patterson a kick return, a punt returner, but he's a wide receiver. And you want to give Matthew Stafford as many options at wide receiver as you can. And I think Patterson fits that mold perfectly. So I think those three teams could still be in play. But the big thing that I was looking at when I was looking at the free agency list is the amount of cornerbacks that are still on the market. And obviously, one got taken away with Malcolm Butler signing with the Arizona Cardinals on a one-year deal. And the Cardinals were actually one of the teams that I thought had to upgrade because remember, they had lost Patrick Peterson, so they need to replace him. And Malcolm Butler is a pretty good replacement for him. But outside of Malcolm Butler, you got guys like Richard Sherman and Casey Hayward still on the market. I mean, I think of a team like Seattle who lost their quote-unquote number one in Shaquille Griffin and replacing him with... One of those guys. I think Casey Hayward's been overlooked, and he could find a great fit on that Seattle team. Or maybe Seattle reunites with Richard Sherman. We've heard a little bit of rumbling saying Sherman wouldn't mind it. Why not? Why not get Seattle some defensive help? Why? Because they need it. They absolutely need it. And Russell Wilson's just continuing to get frustrated and frustrated with the lack of moves that Seattle has presented themselves. And I mean, what about teams like the Chiefs who let go of Brashad Breland? They need some quarterback help. They need a lot of help if they're gonna really get over the hump and get back to the Super Bowl for a third straight year. And then maybe a team like the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, might be a quiet team that could find themselves getting a cornerback in there with stump with some stability because Remember, the Raiders were just outside of the playoff picture, and they just missed it in the last couple weeks of the season. So reassuring the cornerback position would be absolutely huge. And then one final one that I had forgotten to overlook was Sammy Watkins. I mean, Sammy Watkins has the abilities. Obviously, he had the injuries, but he is still a valuable number two option for any team that's looking for a wide receiver. And, you know, I keep bringing up the Seahawks, but Seattle has got to please Russell Wilson. And Wilson has asked for guys like Antonio Brown, like Sammy Watkins, you know, get them, get him some help. Get him some help outside of DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. You know, if if Russell Wilson says, I want this guy, you might want to get him. So I think you got to get Antonio Brown or Sammy Watkins if you're Seattle. But what about a team like the Tennessee Titans? They lost one of their prominent receivers in Corey Davis. You got to get A.J. Brown some help. And I should also mention they lost Jonu Smith. You got to get another pass-catching target for a Titans team that has been on the cusp every single year. Maybe get them over the hump. How about a team like the Ravens that I mentioned earlier? They got to get some help for Lamar Jackson. They need some pass-catchers. A team like Washington needs some pass-catchers to help out. You know, give Antonio Gibson, Terry McLaurin, all those guys some help. And then maybe even the Eagles. Get the Philadelphia Eagles on the phone and get Sammy Watkins and give Jalen Hurt some help. Give him some help. But like I said, the draft is a few weeks away, and I think we'll finally get some answers to where some of these prominent free agents will be signing in the near future. As always, we turn to our teams out here in Boston, Massachusetts. It's our Let's Get Local segment of the week. Now, in this time in particular, everyone in the city of Boston, the big story is what are the Celtics doing or not doing here at the trade deadline? And by the time we're recording, the trade deadline will have passed and we will have known what Danny Ainge has done with this team. And obviously, the big acquisition that... Danny Ainge did was with the Orlando Magic who I had said before are basically blowing up their entire team going for a rebuild acquiring Evan Fournier the veteran shooter only for two second round picks and I gotta say this is a great move because when you look at what the Celtics are at the way this team is they're below 500 they drop a heartbreaker to the Bucks. you have Two, you have two options for this team. You either let this team ride out. You don't give up any kind of assets, and you just wait for free agency to rebuild. Or you try to make up this season and go all in. But this is a great middle ground for the Celtics. I think this is a great move because you're not breaking the bank. You're not giving up anyone. All you're doing is giving up two second-round picks for someone who could be very valuable In the near future. I think this is a great move. A great move of finding that middle ground. Where you're not totally blowing up this team. And trying to make a run for the postseason. But you're also not giving up as well. This is one of those middle moves. Where you know it's not the big splash for Aaron Gordon. Which by the way I wasn't a ginormous fan. Obviously I'd have to know a little bit more about the package. We didn't really know what the package was going to look like for Aaron Gordon, but obviously he's off in Denver. But I like this move. I think Fournier is a great pickup, and I think he fixes the problem of ball movement and bench scoring. I think one of the biggest problems has been the lack of depth that the Celtic team has. You have, obviously, Tatum Brown, Kemba, Smart, but really no other offensive options. When you've got a veteran guy like Evan Fournier, who's scoring a career-high 19.7 points per game. That helps you off the bench tremendously. And he gives you some wing depth as well. You can bring him in for Jalen Brown, give him some rest. You could bring him in for Jason Tatum, have him play at the three. I think this is a great pickup. And I also said ball movement. He's averaging almost four assists a game. When I watch the Celtics team play, there's a lot of isolation. There's not a lot of fast ball movement going on. And I think that's what the Celtics need is that really their only scoring is coming from the big three down low with Rob Williams, Daniel Tyson, Tristan Thompson, but they can only give you maybe like fifteen. And then Marcus Smart, who's just a little inconsistent. I don't think you can trust that. I don't think you can trust Peyton Pritchard at this stage of his career. I like the pickup of Evan Fournier because not only that, you're not even hurting yourself in the future because this is only a $17 million cap hit, and then he goes into free agency. So you still have that sort of trade exception, but it's just not that looming $28 million. You know, if you trust Evan Fournier that he'll be a vital part of your future run, then you just re-sign him in 2021. You re-sign him in the off-season. I think for the immediate future, you automatically put him in the rotation. I don't know. There's probably going to be going to have to be a guy who's 86th out of ro- the rotation. It could be Jeff Teague, could be Shemi Ojale, could be Grant Williams. But I think for a team that's trying to contend right now, I like the move. And overall for the deadline, I would have loved to have seen the Celtics address their big man issue because that's really the big thing that's hurting them. Obviously, Tristan Thompson, Rob Williams, Daniel Tice, they're great offensively, but we're looking for rim protectors, defenders down in the paint. And I don't know if you can fix that. Maybe you go to the buyout market. You look for guys like Andre Drummond, LaMarcus Aldridge, Al Horford, if they get bought out. Do you try and go after them? I think you do make a push. Obviously, you don't go crazy. Because remember, we're still talking about the future. And obviously, this team, like I said last week, isn't made for a championship this year. So maybe just don't go nuts and just get one tiny little piece that's not going to hurt your cap market. Where you don't have to keep them for the future. You just focus on this year and what you can do. It's almost like if you don't win it this year, you don't win it this year. You've got another year where you can definitely retool and get better. But for the deadline, it's not great, but it's not terrible. It's right in the middle, all because of this one move to acquire Evan Fournier. But there's one team in Boston who hasn't made just one move. They have made a plethora of moves, and that is the New England Patriots. And we're still about two weeks after they've basically broke the bank and gone nuts in signing player after player after player now becomes the time where we get to see those smaller moves and there were two small moves that happened just recently that I like to dive into one of them was getting James White back on the team re-signing on a one-year deal I honestly I'm honestly very surprised to see James White re-signing with this team. Because I totally had his mind set on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Bucs signing him on a cheaper deal, kind of replacing that Leonard Fournette role with James White. Also, there's a former Patriots quarterback that he spent most of his career with down in Tampa Bay. But the way this this Patriots running back system works is that they love the three running back system. It's always two running backs, And then a third that is a lethal pass catcher with the occasional rush. This past year it was Damian Harris, Sonny Michelle, and James White. And the Patriots want to continue to use this as long as Belichick is the man in charge. And this just tells me that James White is as loyal as they come. He wants. I think he's going to continue to have that role as the pass catching running back. I think Damien Harris and Sony Michelle are going to split some time as the featured back, but James White is going to continue to be that third guy, much like a Kevin Falk, much like a Shane Vereen, just to name a few guys coming out of that running back system as a pass catcher. But on the other side of the field, another guy that resigned defensively, Lawrence Guy, re-signing on a four-year year deal. Again, a little bit surprised, but he is a valuable piece on that defensive line that I think the Patriots have grown accustomed to. And not only that, but you've got a veteran who knows this system. He's been in in this Patriots system for I want to say it's maybe two or three years, but he is a guy you want in that locker room. A great voice for that defensive side of the field. And not only that, he was sixth on the team in tackles in 2020, in total tackles. I think this is a huge pickup for the Patriots. Obviously, they picked up a bunch of other defensive pieces like Jalen Mills, Matthew Judon, Henry Anderson, Devin Bordeaux. So I totally have no problem with seeing Lawrence Guy re with this team. This is a great move and two surprising re-signings for me because I totally would have expected when we saw Bordeaux come in and Anderson come in. And Hightower returning, that maybe Lawrence Guy was going to go elsewhere. But I think, you know, he can shift from defensive tackle to defensive end. And the Patriots can really use that substitution format where they can get fresh legs as much as they can. That's what I see with this Patriots team. And then, lastly, just briefly touching upon the Red Sox, they're going to start their season in one week. We'll get into a deeper preview of the MLB and of the Red Sox, but I think, like I've said, this is a team that you can see going to the wild card. Maybe not a division title, but I think a wild card at best. We just found out that Erod Eduardo Rodriguez was going to be named the starter. You're kind of banking on if he can have a great 2021 like he did in 2019 because obviously he missed 2020 due to covid but you have to look at what else this team has. I think they'll get better with Chris Sale, but I think Sale, he's not gonna be completely rushed into it. Probably see him back if he can near the end of the of the season, if he does come back this year. But then you have all these options on offense like Kike Hernandez. How strong is he gonna be in the leadoff spot? What's the situation in the outfield? Verdugo, Renfro. Obviously, you gave away all the killer bees, so there's going to be a bunch of in-between parts. And like I was talking about with Alex Barth a couple of weeks ago, what does the future look like for Bobby Dahlbeck? Because he's playing great in the spring, and I think if he continues to hit this way, you're going to see him as your everyday first baseman. I think Michael Chavis is hes going to have to make some adjustments. It's going to be a real competition at first base, but it's going to be very exciting to see the Red Sox back in action in front of a crowd at Fentway Park. And it will be very fascinating to see where all of these Boston teams go in their near futures. As always, we go to everyone's favorite segment, our LOL Moment of the Week. Now, this week was a little special because there were actually two nominees. But what I had did, me personally, I went on to Instagram and taken a poll from all of my followers. If you don't know, it's at Joe Braverman on Instagram. And I had taken a poll between two guys and I let all of my personal followers decide who should be this week's LOL moment? And it was a lot of back and forth. I saw the poll numbers uh, before we recorded today and we made my decision. So, thank you to everyone who had voted out there. Make sure all of you who voted on my personal Instagram page, make sure you're following this Instagram page at let me speak underscore official. But let's get to the reason why I had all my followers vote. This week's LOL moment of the week will go to Tim Peel, the NHL referee who had a little bit of a hot mic incident. So let me break it down for you if you don't know the story. This was this past Tuesday night between the Detroit Red Wings and the Nashville Predators. And... This was in the second period, I want to say about 15 minutes ago, and Victor Arvidsson from the Preds was called for tripping over Red Wings' John Merrill. But if you watch the, the video, which I will be sending out a video of this incident on all of my social media platforms, John Merrill appeared to have flopped. And obviously there's flopping in every single sport, so this is nothing new. But what was interesting was that the broadcast for I believe it was the Predators actually picked up on the NHL referee Tim Peel with a little bit of an explanation for giving away that penalty. And he had said, quote, It wasn't much, but I wanted to get an effing penalty against Nashville early. Well, mister Tim Peel, if you wanted to get that penalty early, then you must not want your job as a referee in the National Hockey League. Because after that, Tim Pugh was officially banned from the NHL for ever refing a game again. He is now banned. And really, this all comes down to the integrity. The integrity of the game. Because when you're looking at no matter what sport it is, if it's soccer, football, baseball, basketball, stuff like that, integrity is the number one thing thing you want to protect if you're any professional league any professional league it is the number one thing to protect because you already have fans who are questioning any kind of integrity I mean you look at in the NBA the superstar treatment with fouls you look in the NFL with certain quarterbacks getting called for roughing the passer and other superstars not getting called for it you know, integrity is absolutely huge in this game. So if you, if we're seeing stories like this, where we're seeing referees intentionally say that they're giving a penalty just because they want to give it to them, that's absolutely wrong. And Commissioner Gary Bettman has got a lot of cleaning up to do. Luckily, he did defend it. Obviously, he banned him. He said integrity is the most important spot in the game. But you just wonder... Where other kind of officials are going with this? I mean, remember the Tim Donahue incident back in, I think it was 2006, 2007, where he was betting on games and he got caught and now he was banned and he was calling stuff against Allen Iverson. This is where fans are really going to turn their heads and say, is this really rigged? Because it is ginormous, ginormous, question of integrity when you have a situation like this or who knows it might have even been a little personal incident because if you didn't know Tim Peel had plans to retire after this year from refereeing he's 53 he's been roughing NHL games since 1999 so maybe he's just going out in the blaze of glory saying you know what if I'm going out I'm going out swinging and I don't care what people think well people are gonna start caring what you think and they think you're not a good referee and you're you have a hatred for the Nashville Predators or maybe you're just bouncing out. You know, obviously we can't fault him because he doesn't know the hot mic is on. He doesn't know his mic, but you got to make sure that you, there's cameras and microphones everywhere. You got to be careful with what you're saying. I mean, how many hot mic moments have we seen in the past? Even recently, you know, Sam Darnold saying, I'm seeing ghosts, and he got all the heat for that. You know, just there's just a ton of incidents where you really got to be careful what you say. You know, it's getting to a point where it's, it's not in the post-game press conference you got to watch out what you say. It's got to be on the court, on the field, on the ice where you got to watch out for it. And part of it just does with this newfangled technology that we got going on. But also, you know, there aren't as many fans. So we've been able to hear in the, in the past year, really the, the real on-court, on-field stuff that goes on. We started, we finally get a chance to hear what's, what's exchanged between coaches, between players, between referees. We finally get to hear it. And so obviously Tim Peel just totally forgot that there was a limited number of fans, so he was able to... He was able to get his audio picked up and unfortunately that left him without a job and on early retirement so again I'll say thank you to all my Instagram followers for taking part in my poll and for naming Tim Peel from the NHL this week's LOL moment of the week So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. Make sure you're dropping those likes, those comments, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you gotta get across, just tell the whole world, shut up and let me speak.